And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Uh, not a particularly great day for Russia. They had a murder over there of a daughter of a close associate, a philosopher, of Vladimir Putin. And now they are using that crime to uh, try to not only blame Ukraine. Ukraine says, and there's every reason to believe they had nothing to do with it, uh, but they're using that crime to highlight the notion that Russia has always been a victim nation, always persecuted, always attacked by the evil West. And they are blaming one particular force in the evil West, homosexuality. Uh, we will get into that on the Michael Medved show. There is also a new poll showing that half of Americans think that marijuana is beneficial for the country. Yeah, that's right, beneficial. And uh, much more than half of Americans, close to 70%, think it should be legalized. Is this uh, an issue that's going to help the Democrats? I don't think it's helping the Democrats with Latinos. And we have overwhelming evidence, which piles up more and more and more every day, about Republicans making inroads with Hispanic voters. Why is that? What does it mean? Can it last? And uh, how would most Latinos feel about the idea of the Democratic push and favoritism for legalized weed? We'll talk about all of those subjects with uh, Ruben Navarrete, who joins us later in the show. And then other deep polls showing that Americans are extremely angry about where the nation is going and very worried about where the nation is going. And uh, that... Uh, why exactly? And uh, NBC is trying to suggest that uh, one of the reasons for that is because they're worried that Trump is coming back into power. Is he? Well, somebody who is leaving power, somebody who worked for Trump, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has announced his resignation. It is effective this December. And people are pointing out that that means that he will be gone. He will have left federal office right before the Republicans come in, if they win control of the House. And uh, there are a number of leading Republicans, including Jim Jordan, who's going to be one of the heads of the Judiciary Committee, apparently, that uh, people are saying they want a full investigation of Dr. Fauci. If uh, you think that's a, a tremendous and wise use of American time and energy after he leaves office, after... What is it he's been in since for 50 years, more than? Uh, if uh, you believe that's a good use of energy, then, well, you should be very relieved that he is leaving. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, first of all, this uh, new polling showing that Americans are angry, disappointed, and increasingly desperate about the future of our country. This is the way that uh, NBC's Chuck Todd saw the issue. Listen. We are less than three months before the midterms, and our brand new NBC News poll paints a pretty bleak picture. Americans are angry, they're disappointed, and they are worried about the future of this country. Just 21% of adults say we are heading in the right direction, and once again, Three out of four Americans say we're on the wrong track. In fact, this number, never before in our poll, has this wrong track number been over 70% for this long. It's been nearly a year now. 
58%, by the way, say America's best years are behind us. That's an all-time high in our poll. Okay. Uh, the, the, our best years are behind us. And uh, so what does that mean? How do you adjust your life if you think things are only going to get worse in America? And uh, by the way, what's extraordinary here is Donald Trump has been out of power for a year and a half. He has just recently, because of the Mar-a-Lago search, he's only recently come back to the situation where he is uh, the subject of intense attention every day. He's dominating center stage. But for a long time, uh, Donald Trump had come out every once in a while and do a rally. He would support some candidate, very often a candidate, uh, candidates who are now in all kinds of trouble and jeopardizing the chances of Republicans capturing the Senate. But yet, uh, Yamiche Alcindor on NBC still says that uh, Trump is the reason and fear of Trump that so many Americans believe that we're on the wrong track. Uh, listen, clip one. They're very worried, especially about former President Trump possibly coming back into power or former President Trump or, or another Republican stealing the election in 2022 or 2024 because we've seen so many election deniers be be elected. So a lot of Democrats on the Democratic side, they're very worried about abortion also and abortion rights. And then on the Republican side, I can tell you that I'm also hearing from people that, especially some that are unfortunately believing conspiracy theories and lies about the election of 2020, they're worried that the country is going in the wrong direction because they're seeing too many people um, say that the election was free and fair, which of course it was. You're also hearing a lot of anxiety based on my reporting about inflation and about gas prices because you have a lot of Republicans running around the state who are around the country also that are really saying this is going to be an economic situation that we're not going to recover from and that President Biden is leading the country off of a cliff here. Okay, uh, is that the essence of the negativity the the one thing that they don't mention and that it seems to me really does have to do with america being on the wrong track is whether it's republicans or democrats uh i i think that americans are disgusted with our politics and with good reason because it is so entirely negative and it, it, it really is like a destruction derby with trying to uh, find out whatever negative information you possibly can about people who are running against you. The idea that the opposition is not just wrong, and I do think that the liberal opposition to the Republican Party, the Democrats for the most part, are for the most part wrong. They're dead wrong on issue after issue after issue. I disagree with them. But the idea that these are evil people, that they want to destroy the country, people have been hearing for so long that we are headed toward another civil war, that if the other side is trying deliberately to wreck the country, if you believe that, well, no wonder you get desperate and you're concerned that we are headed on the wrong track. Uh, who exemplifies right now uh, the... Um, the the politics of constructive optimism and and pragmatism and actually the idea that okay we've we've got a problem we can make it a little bit better 
Right now, there's another huge national fuss, and appropriately so, about a really horrifying tape that was released of a police beating. But what's fascinating about it is the victim, I believe, at least that's what the tape indicates, is white. And the officers are white. There is no racial component, thank goodness. But the, the idea that this is acceptable somehow because the uh, defendant is white this is this is one of those those cases where the the nature of the tape and it doesn't show you what happened before before the beating began but it's uh three it may even be four different officers on one guy and they are not just trying to subdue him they are trying to hurt him or maybe to kill him. He has apparently survived. This is down in Arkansas. And Governor Hutchinson of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, the outgoing governor who I admire a great deal, he has uh, uh, recently just done a statement about this case. If there's any breaking news about it, we will inform you. We'll also be talking about the uh, big shift on weed, the big shift on... Hispanics and the Republican Party and a statement by President Joe Biden marking Slavery Remembrance Day. Did, did you know that Slavery Remembrance Day is tomorrow? I, I, who knew? Uh, I'll explain that. It, it's actually it's a U.N. holiday, but we honor it. We'll be right back on the Medved Show. Across America, this is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, as I mentioned before, this uh, is the International Day for the Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition. It is uh, celebrated actually August 23rd of each year, the day designated by UNESCO to memorialize the transatlantic slave trade. President Biden has issued a statement. It's brief. And uh, it's a dignified statement. It's perfectly appropriate, and, except there is one problem that I, I do want to mention because obviously this is a big issue. It's a political issue, how we teach slavery, and we should, of course. Uh, President Biden says great nations don't hide from their history. They acknowledge their past, both the triumphs and the tragedies. That's true. Okay, his statement says more than 400 years ago, 20 enslaved Africans were forcibly brought to the shores of what would become the United States. Millions were stolen and sold in the centuries that followed part of a system of slavery that is America's original sin. Now, there's a problem here, which is that that first paragraph makes it sound that America initiated the slave trade, that millions were stolen and sold in the centuries that followed, part of a system of slavery that is America's original sin. system of slavery wasn't set up by America, and America was never a major participant in the slave trade. I, I know it's not politically correct to say that, but it's the truth. Uh, Portugal was initially, Spain was a very big slave trading nation. The Netherlands was a big slave trading nation. America was not. 
And in terms of the number of people who were captured and sold and then taken away across the Atlantic, which is what this day commemorates, America has guilt, uh, but so does virtually every other country, certainly the countries in Europe and the countries in the Caribbean and in South America, much, much more. It's, it's a number that Americans need to get clear to appreciate the International Day for the Remembrance of the Slave Trade. Okay, the, the thing you need to get clear is 4% of the total number of Africans who were kidnapped and dragged and taken across the ocean and distributed often to places in the New World, 4% ever came to what later became or after it became the United States of America. And that international slave trade into America, its abolition was provided, was allowed in the Constitution. And then as soon as they were allowed to do it under the Constitution, which is 1808, President Jefferson, yes, of who was himself a slave owner, abolished the slave trade into the United States. So President Biden, the rest of his brief uh, statement today, he says, great nations don't hide from their history. They acknowledge their past, both the triumphs and the tragedies. Today is a day to reflect on the terrible toll of slavery and on our nation's profound ability to heal and emerge stronger. Despite the horrors they face, these men and women and their descendants have made countless contributions to the building of this nation and the continuous effort to realize the American ideal. I was honored last year to declare Juneteenth a national holiday, another moment to reflect and rededicate ourselves to becoming a more perfect union, and it's why my administration will continue the hard, ongoing work to bring true equity and racial justice to our country. I'm grateful, writes the President, for the efforts of Congress, in particular Representative Al Green and Senator Elizabeth Warren, to recognize the significance of this day. Okay, he doesn't say anything about the significance of this day, does he? No! I, and you have to look it up. It, it, the day was established in 1998. And the reason they picked August 23rd to be the Slavery Remembrance Day is because there was only been one successful slave rebellion in all of human history. And that began on August 23rd in Haiti, in what was known as Saint-Domingue. And it's uh, something that I write about in my book, The American Miracle, because it was really that slave rebellion that led to the Louisiana Purchase and the acquisition of a tremendous amount of territory from France, which is not by force, not by war, but by negotiation. Anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting story. But the, uh, the, the point about it is that one of the things that if you're going to take this day and remember it to try to understand what the slave trade meant, there should be some efforts. And again, I know those efforts have begun, but only just begun to understand why Haiti is such a mess today. In other words, Haiti was the first, it was in fact the only nation in which slaves threw off their chains. They were not helped by outside armies or outside forces. It was the slaves themselves who uh, 
threw off the uh, the slavery as an institution, which Napoleon had reimposed, and uh, that was uh, the uprising began on August twenty third, seventeen ninety one. So, Slavery Remembrance Day. Will this also be remembered as a day when the tyranny of Anthony Fauci has announced an ending? I, honest to goodness, have never understood the profound hatred for Dr. Fauci. Uh, the way the Washington Post writes about his decision, Anthony F. S. Fauci, the nation's preeminent infectious disease expert, who achieved unprecedented fame while enduring the withering political attacks as the face of the coronavirus pandemic response under two presidents, that would be President Trump and President Biden, plans to step down in December after more than a half century of public service, he announced today. Fauci, who is 81 years old, has led the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. He uh, joined the parent agency, the National Institutes of Health, in 1968. Isn't that amazing? As a 27-year-old doctor who had just finished medical residency and was quickly identified as a rising star. Most recently, Fauci has served as President Biden's chief medical advisor since the start of his administration. Uh, and uh, it explains that Fauci's tenure as director of the Infectious Diseases Institute made him an advisor to seven presidents and put him on the front lines of every modern-day scourge, including AIDS, the 2001 anthrax scares, Ebola, Zika, and the coronavirus pandemic. During the uh, nearly four decades, Fauci led the agency as it grew from a little-known institute with a $350 million annual budget to a globally recognized powerhouse with a budget exceeding $6 billion. Uh, do I believe that uh, he handled the pandemic flawlessly? Of course not. But uh, do I believe that he is a dedicated public servant who deserves some thanks and appreciation? Absolutely. We will be right back. list of history shows at medvithistorystore.com. This is the Michael Medved Show. The great thing about those history shows, I mean, aside from the fact that I'm very proud of them, I've worked hard on them, there's a great variety, close to a hundred different titles you can choose, and they're totally free if you're a, a Medhead Plus member. And a MedHeb Plus membership costs you the grand total of uh, 22 cents a day. It's uh, extremely inexpensive. It's a great bargain. It gives you access every day to the podcast version of this show, which is uh, commercial-free and uh, available whenever you want it. You just click, click, and there it is. And then you have uh, access to any of the uh, Medved History shows at the Medved History Store. You can see what's available there for free for your uh, Medhead uh, membership, Medhead Plus membership, by just going to uh, MedvedHistoryStore.com. Uh, we are 
making uh, a little bit of history with this terrible polling that shows that Americans are down in the dumps and uh, that they do not have a, a great deal of optimism looking ahead to the November elections. Now, this should be a, uh, um, a an obvious problem for Democrats. So why is it that more and more uh, prognosticators are taking a look at this thing and saying, yeah, the Republicans should win the House, but it'll be tougher to win the Senate? It's because the Senate races become personality races in a way that most House races don't. But uh, here is NBC News' Chuck Todd reporting that when it comes to the so-called IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed and signed, and it's now the law of the land, with so much fanfare associated with it as a gigantic victory for President Biden, that act is not going to help him much and probably won't help the country much at all. This is a clip three. People are skeptical that this thing is actually going to help them. So uh, a plurality thought not make a difference uh, with 36 percent, but 35 percent thought the bill would make things worse for me. Twenty six percent thought thing they would make things better for me. OK, more people think that this great reform is going to make things worse for them than better for them. Uh, that might have to do with some of the basic laws of economics, which uh, Democrats have been trying to repeal or ignore for a very long time. Uh, this is uh, just a little flashback, a free economic lesson from a Nobel Prize winning economist and one of the all-time greats, the one and only Milton Friedman on the cause of inflation. Uh, listen, this is 3.5. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of an, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it? It's too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. In other words, the more money you have sloshing around in the economy, it means the less each one of those units of money is worth. The more it takes to spend to get your gallon of gas. And I know that the gas has been going down slightly, but very welcome in, in recent times. And, uh, yes, all of that goes to some of the frustration and negativity that people show. The uh, NBC reporting that 68% um, of Americans now believe the country is in a recession now. Full of 50% of those polled said things will get worse economically before they get better. How many think it will get better before it gets worse? Uh, 26%. I mean, the, the markets, after uh, what was looking like a rally and was very promising as recently as last week, it's down today uh, 632 points in the Dow right now. That's, that's bad. And Biden's overall approval ratings are still deeply underwater, this according to the NBC report. 
42% approve of the president, 55% disapprove. Although his ratings on the economy, 40% approve, 56% disapprove, have gotten somewhat less terrible. The, uh, the one, quote, encouraging development in the poll for Democrats was that uh, now a, a new top threat to voters, a new top issue, is uh, emerged, which is uh, threats to democracy. But see, it's unclear to me if you say threats to democracy are a problem in for the country, does that mean you're worried about election deniers and, and people who wanted to overturn the election and who uh, participated in and encouraged the January 6th riots? Or does it mean that you're worried about the FBI raiding uh, the former president's home? The uh, other issues top issues, cost of living, uh, jobs, the economy, and immigration. Uh, the issue of homelessness is uh, still an issue virtually everywhere in the country. And in uh, Baltimore, CBS News reports on some of the homelessness disasters in that city. This is clip 17. Baltimore city leaders have cleared a homeless encampment that popped up in front of City Hall. This after reaching an agreement with advocates to provide housing and relief to the homeless population. This homeless encampment sprang up outside of Baltimore City Hall on Wednesday morning. When you're seeing these individuals, you know, under bridges, in tents, outside constantly, you want to be a part of the solution. Minister Christina Flowers says the defiant group taking up residence in these red tents say they want a path to permanent housing and programs to combat homelessness. Demands, she says, the mayor can deliver. This team is out here to negotiate with the homeless individuals, with the advocates, to make this a smooth transition and to make sure that they're being heard today and getting connected with services. The controversial tent city organized by the Black Community Development Coalition reaching an agreement with the mayor's office to clear the site ahead of the weekend. City leaders say while some may see this as an inadequate response, the city has released a five-phase plan and announced $90 million will be directed at tackling the homeless crisis. That's right, and the good news with that is there is progress, so conversations are happening. Okay, $90 million to tackle the homeless crisis. And by the way, if you, if you look at the video of, of this, the, there are only about a dozen tents. This is nothing like the kinds of homeless encampments that we have all over Seattle, but at least credit to the Baltimore mayor that they are, were dealing with this immediately. It's been up for less than a week. And uh, rather than having a uh, acceptance and then praise and then uh, all kinds of dilly-dallying and ups and downs and ins and outs, they were fairly determined to do something about the encampment across from City Hall. Now, will that mean that the crisis is solved? I again, if, if you all of a sudden find that living in a tent in front of City Hall for a couple of days is going to lead to all kinds of benefits and programs and other arrangements being made for you. Maybe they're going to buy one of the hotels that isn't doing well in Baltimore. There are plenty of those. The The idea that that this issue remains so intractable, it's, uh, it's really very too bad.
for the country at large. They uh, just finished uh, an, another uh, very determined recount. It was supposed to be on an election, and, and they may have to do recounts or at least more counting on the Alaska election involving Sarah Palin's congressional bid. We'll bring you the latest on that. This is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, we've spoken about this before, and there's coverage mostly in uh, the Kansas City Star. But concerning that that vote in Kansas that was so depressing to so many pro-lifers and really part of what what reflected uh, was reflected in that vote was a very badly drawn initiative. They had an initiative on the ballot that would have given the state legislature in Topeka and Kansas the right to regulate abortion. And the wording was confusing. It was unclear what it meant. If you voted yes, if you voted yes, it meant yes, we want the legislature to go ahead and reduce access to abortion, to regulate it, to cut down the availability of the procedure. And uh, what happened is people voted no, but not everybody voting no, I think, knew what they were voting. However, it's still the law and it was overwhelming. It was a, a 59 to 59% to 41%. So it was uh, gigantically lopsided. But here's the story from the paper today. The uh, Kansas reaffirmed its landslide vote to uphold abortion rights after election officials yesterday uh, finished a recount that never had any chance of changing the outcome but was sought by an election denier an anti-abortion activist advancing baseless allegations of fraud. The exercise instead delivered a second victory for opponents of an amendment that would have stripped abortion rights from the state constitution. Uh, it, it, they, they're misstating it. it. It would have given the legislature the ability to change the state constitution in that regard. In any event, the uh, hand recount in nine counties including Johnson and Sedgwick's, the state's two largest counties, and it's in the Kansas City area. They cost roughly $120,000 and burned countless hours as election officials scrambled to conclude the arduous process before sat Saturday deadline. Kansas voters rejected the amendment called Value Them Both by supporters 59% to 41%, with a margin of 165,000 votes. The partial recount ultimately changed the outcome, well, it changed a lot of votes. It changed the outcome by fewer than 60 votes. Let that sink in. An infinitesimal fraction of the overall vote that included ballots for more than 922,000 Kansans. Uh, Sedgwick County verified its results around 4.30 p.m. on Sunday. The Kansas recount was requested last Friday by Melissa Levitt, a Colby, Kansas resident who has testified in the Kansas legislature about 2020 election conspiracy theories. Baseless views about election fraud took hold nationally, including among some in Kansas after President Donald Trump and his supporters falsely claimed the election was stolen. 
then they go on to say that Levitt originally requested a statewide recount, which the Kansas Secretary of State Scott Schwab estimated would have cost about $230,000. So uh, Levitt and a guy named Mark Geetson, a longtime anti-abortion activist from Wichita, put forward just under $120,000, which Geetson uh, used his credit card for the Kansas Republican Assembly and mostly from his own retirement account to uh, pay for. The amount was enough to order recounts of nine counties, Johnson, Sedgwick, Shawnee, Douglas, Crawford, blah, blah, blah. and uh, 40, they, it resulted in eight additional yes votes for the initiative and 49 uh, fewer no votes. So a grand total of 57 votes out of 922,000 votes that were cast. The, the, the reason I'm, I'm mentioning it is because the obsession with uh, these claims, and it's on the left, and it's on the right, and it's on the center, but the claims about election fraud and election recounts and going into it and endless and endless recounts. We had a, in our own state of Washington, uh, we had a gubernatorial race in 2020 where the margin was about a half a million votes. That's a big, big margin. And claims of vote fraud and demands of recount. And what, what all of this does is it tarnishes our democracy and basic questions about how it works. Uh, Levitt's decision to request the recount and Geetson's decision to fund it with his credit card and personal savings boggled political observers. For comparison, former President Ronald Reagan's blowout victory over Democrat Walter Mondale in 1984 featured a similar margin of victory in the national popular vote. Yeah, 59% to 41%. Uh, and it uh, said you're discrediting one of the central tenets of our democracy, which is fair and free elections. And I just think that's a bad precedent to set. Whatever your cause is, State Senator Tom Hawk, a, a Democrat from Manhattan, Kansas, said of the recount. And uh, Levitt has largely declined to speak with reporters, but has posted videos to TikTok throughout the recount process. Levitt's posts focus on vague claims of voter integrity concerns. She uh, narrowed in on a technical error in a Cherokee County Commission race as evidence of statewide issues. The delays in Sedgwick County and the error in Cherokee County are likely to fuel conspiracy theories for the foreseeable future. Tom Geetson, who funded the recount, told the Star after the recount was completed that he wouldn't pay for the recount because of the delay. Geetson said he would file a lawsuit today calling for a full statewide hand recount. The next step is to check the registration of the people who say they voted, Geetson said. I don't care whether they voted yes or no. It doesn't make any difference to me. I want to know if a human being voted. So we'll be visiting homes to see if anyone lives there. Maybe 10 out of every free precinct. Can, can you imagine uh, going uh, door to door to ask people, it says, well, it says that uh, you were counted as voting. Did you actually vote? I, uh, 
this kind of decision uh, uh, in terms of investing of, of time, it seems to me, uh, is extraordinarily dubious. And uh, meanwhile, something that, that isn't dubious, but that has a very real political impact, is this uh, news uh, about a murder in uh, Russia. It was covered this way by CNN. Uh, Daria Dugina, who is a daughter of a nationalist ph philosopher and top Putin advisor, Alexander Dugin, uh, was killed in a car bombing. And the experts say it probably was intended for her father because she is a very much a nationalist and a big supporter of the war against Ukraine. But, of course, Russia is blaming Ukraine for the attack uh, with no real evidence. Listen, this is clip 13. Russian authorities are now launching a murder investigation after the, the daughter of the nationalist philosopher Alexander Dugan was killed in an apparent car bombing on the outskirts of Moscow. Russia's investigative committee believes that someone planted explosives and ordered the attack. 29-year-old Daria Dugina has died at the scene. She was a Russian TV commentator, an outspoken supporter of Russians' actions in Ukraine, and her father, Alexander Dugin, owned the car and might have been the intended target. He's an influential writer in Russia. He advocates for an aggressive, imperialist Russia, and many believe that his ideas hold sway inside the Kremlin. Some Russian officials are already blaming Ukraine for the deadly bombing, but a top advisor to President Zelensky says that Ukraine had nothing to do with it. And uh, it's, it's even more than that. And part of what has happened here is a number of people have suggested that uh, Alexander Dugin, the father who was uh, supposedly the target of this bombing, and it blew up and blew out windows. It was a very powerful bomb in one of Moscow's most exclusive neighborhoods where uh, very wealthy and established people in the uh, oligarchy live. And uh, one of the things that is notable here is uh, Alexander Dugin had been critical of Putin for going too easy on Ukraine, uh, for, uh, for not pursuing the war ruthlessly enough. So there's some question here, was that why? And was that why he was killed? And did the regime, which has been quiet about this generally, have anything uh, to, um, to any reason, any role in this at all? We will get to that and the general dangers of Russian paranoia and persecution complex. And what about Hispanics moving GOP? That coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.